listening to the Momnificent Podcast. This is the place where we help parents live a happy, healthy life with their kids. We're going to show you how to connect with your child and help them even in their most difficult moments as we hear from experts in the field. I'm your host, Dr. Karin Jakubowski, an international speaker, public school principal, and former struggling student. The Momnificent Podcast equips parents with science-based strategies to help you live a happy, healthy life with your kids. Welcome. Do you ever try to stop a bad habit or improve something like exercising more? And no matter how hard you try, you find it's hard to stick with it or get the results that you want. Well, this week's guest has an app for that. Brent Franson, founder and creator of Most Days, which is a life improvement platform designed to let you create healthy routines while also getting a social support system. Let's find out how the, his own struggles led to creating this platform and how he's using it to help others address challenges like exercising, things like depression, even anxiety, loneliness, sleep disturbances, and so much more. Brent, welcome to Momnificent. Thanks for having me. So Brent, I'm so excited to have you on our show today because you had shared with me that 82% of your members are women. And that's who my podcast mostly targets. You've created an app for mental health. And I haven't really seen something like this out there up to this point. And I wanted to find out what was your personal experience that led you to develop this company focused on helping people improve the quality of their life? Yeah. So I, um, I think like a lot of people, I really, um, struggled. So I, well, I'll back up a little bit. I was, I grew up in Boulder, Colorado, and it was this very idyllic middle-class upbringing. I was most likely to succeed in eighth grade. And I was like the winter ball King, my freshman year of high school. Um, and then, you know, my, my family had some issues. The people around me had some issues and I became very rebellious. And I, I ended up being kicked out of the public high school I was going to here. I went to a boarding school. I was sent, I was shipped away and I got kicked out of that school as well. I couldn't tell you if I graduated from, from high school and I, I know that I dropped out of college. And so I had this path of like things going well and things were smooth. And then they went way off the rails for me personally. And I had kind of from age 15 to 22 or 23, um, it was just a really difficult period for me. I was finding my way. And um, also I've got, there's just a lot of addiction in my family. So my story has a lot of, a lot of addiction in it. And, but on the flip side, there's also a lot of um, sobriety around me and I've witnessed a lot of sobriety. And what's interesting about my own journey, and I, I struggled with addiction early in my twenties, I'm almost 40 now. Um, and the people, the close people around me who I've seen struggle with addiction is, um, addictions are, um, they're not, they're not cured and cured is the wrong word, but they're not solved by modern medicine. Like the healthcare system doesn't really know what to do with them. Um, and so, you know, pills and procedures are what, what healthcare is pretty good at. And so if you are struggling with addiction, you need to stop doing that thing that you're, you're chronically doing that's hurting your life. And then you need to start doing a, a different set of things. And what I realized in seeing these behavior change frameworks and addiction is no matter what you're struggling with, whether it's addiction or depression or diabetes, it doesn't matter. 
there's a set of things that you, you want to incorporate in your life, or you want to drop from your life to maximize the quality of your life or maximize the length of your life. And so that was the learning for me. I mean, I spent a lot of time, I, I had a, I've, I've, I've a career as an entrepreneur and I spent a lot of time building businesses, but I was struggling like after 5 PM and in the evenings. And for me, I built a system to, I knew what I needed to do and what I didn't want to do. And I built a system to help me incorporate those things into my life and it took me a long time to get it right. Change happens really slowly. Um, but now I, I couldn't be happier. I couldn't be healthier because I've been able to do that. And so I think it was really realizing that the things that we, I mean, the name of the company's most days, the things that we do most days are really, they really have a huge impact on the quality of our life. And it's hard to incorporate those things. And so I've, I've set out to build a system and a platform to do that. I love this. So just the other day, I made a comment about self-care and the response I got was, well, I don't have time for that. Why is it so important to prioritize oneself? And what does it mean to prioritize ourselves? Okay, so I think this is a very good question. Um, so I, th I think there's two ways you can think about this question. One is the time component of what you're asking. And so not having time for self-care, I think is not being honest about the amount of time that self-care creates. And so let's think about a world, I'll, I'll just use an example for myself, where I am uh, working hard and then I'm not exercising and I'm having a few beers each night. So let's just say I'm, there's not much self-care there. I'm prioritizing work and other things. In that world, um, I'm probably not sleeping very well. Um, I'm probably... Um, so if I'm not sleeping very well, I'm probably less productive. I'm probably a little bit more moody. The moodiness can create issues in relationships that I need to deal with. So I've, I've, I got a partner, I've got kids, maybe I'm getting into a little bit more conflict with them. And then I have to spend time resolving that conflict. Um, so even the really basic, the really basic pieces of, okay, if I'm exercising, I'm probably more likely to sleep better. If I'm sleeping better, I'm more, I'm probably going to be a little bit more productive in my work. So I'm going to get more done in a shorter amount of time. I'm probably going to be in a better mood. So I'm going to create less conflict that I then have to deal with. And so I think prioritizing yourself appropriately, um, uh, creates time. It's actually net positive on, on time creation. So you don't want to think about, oh, exercising. I don't have time to exercise because the 20 minutes, the 30 minutes, the hour, whatever it might be, um, you're probably getting more back than you're putting in, in other ways that are, that are a little bit more difficult to see in your life. So that's one way to think about it. The other way I think that's thematically similar to what you're saying, but it's important here is culturally, we think about being selfish. Um, that's a negative, as a negative connotation, that word. And I think that's wrong. I mean, I think there are things that are selfish where like, I've got enough food to share or whatever, and I don't share it with somebody who's and things that are very obviously selfish, but you know, I think this, um, you know, on airplanes, you, you know, they, they, they tell us put on your own face mask before you, before you help others, because if, you know, if you run out of oxygen and you're just laying on the ground unconscious, you're, you're of no good to anybody. And I think that that's, 
that's so true for us as individuals is if we take care of ourselves, if we really love ourselves and we take care of ourselves and we, we maintain ourselves physically and mentally, we're going to be much better partners in the relationships, you know, in, in the romantic relationships that we're in, we're going to be better parents. We're going to be better, you know, sons and daughters. And so I really think at least in my own life about a set of concentric circles that are where my priorities are. And I prior, you know, I put myself at the center of, of those concentric circles, not, it sounds kind of ridiculous to say it, but as a father, I, you know, my, my relationship with my partner is really important to me and, and my relationship with my daughter, those are most important. If I'm not sleeping well, eating well, exercising, taking care of myself, I'm not practicing mindfulness. I'm just a shell of the father and partner I can be. And then in the second tier, I think you've got to put your relationship. I think this can be hard for a lot of parents, but the unit of the parents needs to be good and it needs to be healthy, I think, in order to be really good to our kids. And then I think obviously the atomic unit is kind of very, you know, your kids are kind of in that third circle. So they're all really close in terms of the priorities. I mean, and there are cases where if a child needs something, of course, you don't exercise, you help the child that, you know, I, I don't want it to be misconstrued. Um, but I, I want to help people. I want to, I want to help give permission to people. Like it's okay to take care of yourself because if you're taking care of yourself, you're actually taking care of others. And the, and the last thing I would say on this is we see this really starkly in addiction, you know, in, in addiction, um, when people are using, it's the, it's the opposite of taking care of themselves. And that can really hurt the family unit. It hurts or kills relationships. Um, and so, you know, if uh, often what happens in addiction is you have to spend some time, you know, like go to rehab or you got to spend some time away being selfish and kind of getting right just with you. Um, and then you're going to be so much better in terms of being in relationship to other people. So I, I know that's more than what you asked, but I, I can't help it anytime I, I think about this kind of prioritizing self uh, conversation. Well, I really like how you just connected all those areas of our lives that it all we all show up at and how one way or the other, whether you're going to take care of yourself or the addiction, which kind of is abusing yourself, um, and how we show up. But but I love how you just walked us through all those those different areas and pictures of our life that is so interconnected that we might not think at, at first when we say things like, well, I don't have time for that. So I, I love how you brought that through. So one of the things that I like about the title of your company, and you're at most days, you're, you're not going for protect, perfection here. And, and you don't have to be 100% perfect every day. And you kind of talk about a formula. So how many days do you have to stay on track? And where, where does that mindset come from? And how did you develop this mission around that? Sure. So I mean, it's been a mindset that's been really important for me. I So I have struggled with everything. I struggle with a little bit of anxiety and depression. I have struggled with um, addiction and dependence and sleep. And I don't struggle with most of those things anymore. And it really came actually from this mantra and quitting smoking cigarettes. I've quit way too many substances, but I haven't had a cigarette in 15 or 20 years. But when I quit smoking cigarettes, it was this, my mantra was don't quit quitting. And um, so it didn't take the first time, the second time, the third time, but I didn't quit quitting. And eventually I quit. 
And what you realize when you are trying to change your habits, because changing your habits and changing your behavior is, re is really hard and is self-compassion is really core to the process. And it is a process. It's a journey. You're not arriving at some destination. You don't start it and then complete it. You know, we are works of works in progress from the day that we're born until the, until the day that we die. And what I realized was this self-criticism, it really gets in the way. And so, okay, I want to start uh, going for a run every morning. And then day two, even day one, I don't get out and uh, I don't get out of bed and go for the run. If I go into this whole talk track of, I'm never going to be able to do it. I'm such a screw up. I'm always going to be unhealthy and not in shape. We're using the example of exercising a lot. There's a lot more that's important there, but that whole, it's actually a very counter counterproductive cycle that you get into because then you're feeling worse about yourself. And for me, then I'm more likely to engage in the behaviors that are numbing. So there's, you know, shame is so toxic. There's a little bit of shame. They way, the way I think about the difference, this is not mine between shame and guilt. The shame is like something is wrong with me. And then guilt is like, oh, I did something wrong. But there's a big difference in terms of how toxic that can be personally. So if, if I don't go for that run, and then I go into this whole kind of shame, self-criticism spiral then I'm more likely to look for the things that for me personally help me numb. So, okay, should I have a beer or eat something really sugary or whatever, spend a lot of time on the internet. I think that there's the, the distraction of social media and the internet, whatever it is that might distract me and numb me from those painful feelings. And then there's, a, there's another set of uh, another talk track that is like where you're almost justifying, Hey, I, I don't do the thing. Cause I'm not kind of the type of person and I think more importantly, if, if we if we change that and we think about that from the most days perspective, I wake up and it's a, hey, I didn't get it done today. That's okay. I'm a human. This is a journey. It's about progress. It's not about perfection. And tomorrow's a new day. I'm going to set an intention that like, I'm going to get it done tomorrow. And, you know, changing changing your, changing your life in any way, real progress is it's slow and it's arduous. There aren't silver bullets. I mean, the reality of this is, is like every day you just want to try to get a little bit better. And so, you know, if you're failing in that way, um, but you're think you're kind of like changing the talk track in your mind. That's what success looks like, you know, and you can compare it like there's, you can always have a sports analogy and I, I can't help myself, but you know, like LeBron James doesn't become LeBron James without missing a shot. You know, he's missed a lot of shots and that's how you get better at trying to put a little, you know, basketball, um, into a hole. And like, that's no different with trying to work out or meditate or anything else. The other thing that I would say that that's part of the most days philosophy is it's about um, it, it, it's binary. So each day in most days, so you have a set of habits that you're trying to incorporate in your life. And each day you mark yes or not today. Did you complete them? And I think a lot of times we think about intensity first, as opposed to consistency. And you really want to focus on consistency first. So if we, if we continue with this example of working out, um, 
So if I get out of bed that morning and I walk around the block, count it, you know, feel good about it. You put on the shoes, you walked out the door and you walked around the block, feel good about it. You got out of the house. And if you're doing that consistently, one block's going to turn into two, going to turn into three. Like the intensity will come over time. The distance will come over time. If you're trying to start meditating, meditate for 30 seconds and just try to do that four days a week. And 30 seconds will turn into a minute. It will naturally extend itself. So consistency is more important. Think about it in a very binary way. Um, but it's because self-compassion is the most effective way to actually incorporate um, in, incorporate, you know, new habits and to change our lives. And so that's the, that's the, that's the mantra that I've always used. And it was a, it was a perfect name for the company. So the self-compassion, like what if maybe like we're our worst critic, right? So what if, what if we play those negative thoughts and how, how do you get from the negative thoughts to the self-compassion? Like what, what would you say to someone like struggling with? Yeah. Like I want to get there, but I, what, what, what connect would you make for someone? Well, I would, um, I mean, I think for me, it's more about where am I? And again, I'm just a guy in the trenches. And so I, um, there are, there are great books on self-compassion. There are people who have really studied this, uh, you know, psychologists. And I actually had a conversation with a psychologist, uh, um, about a week ago on self-compassion. It's a really interesting topic, but one of the takeaways there is actually that the self-criticism is not effective. Like there's no science that says, Hey, if you really beat yourself up, you're going to be better. So I, I think that that's the first thing to say. Um, but I think it's about reframing. And so it's about saying, okay, I didn't get out of bed and do the thing that I wanted to do this morning. Why was that? Did I you know, did I go to bed too late? Am I hungover? Am I like, did I not put out the running shoes? Am I trying to get myself to do something that like, I don't want to do, you know, like if you're trying to get yourself to run and you just don't like running, like there are other ways of exercising and learning from it and then thinking about, okay, I'm going to do it tomorrow. And like, if you want to be you know, there's an energy in the self-criticism, put that energy into like the motivation that today's the last day I'm going to get up and I'm going to do it tomorrow. And so like, like so much of these, uh, you know, like what happens in the mind, it's about stopping, taking a breath, noticing, observing, trying to learn from whatever's happening, um, or, or what you wish was happening that wasn't happening. And then saying, okay, how can I learn from this moving forward? That's going to actually be most effective. Just beating yourself up. If you're purely just focused on the end result of like eating less cake or, you know, starting to work out, it's actually not the, the science tells us that that actually doesn't work. It's counterproductive. And so I think it's about reframing. Mm, that's so good. I love that. And and during the pandemic, people were struggling with their daily routines. Well, gosh, some people got their routines completely disrupted, especially when kids were home and parents were trying to work as well. How did this app help during the pandemic? Because you launched it this past summer. Is that right? Yes, that's right. So we, um, we, we launched, so we raised the, it's a Silicon Valley venture. We're a venture backed technology company. We raised the first money for the company last summer and we really launched at the beginning of the year. And so the unfortunate reality is basically the way that we live our lives in this contemporary world that we live in 
um, really has contributed to a huge increase in anxiety and depression and problems with sleep. I mean, we're, we're, we're all aware of this. And I think, I think we all feel it in some way. And so, and we're also disconnected. There's a, there's an epidemic of loneliness. I mean, we, we could go on, we're, we're, we're hurting right now as a group of people. And so, you know, I had planned to start this company before um, this was not in response to the pandemic. This was something that I had been really passionate about building for a long time. But I think what we've been able to do is, so, I mean, the, the, the way that the most days system works is you're either creating or subscribing to a routine and a routine is a set of habits. And we have routines written by psychologists and neuroscientists, primarily from schools in California, from Stanford and Berkeley and UCLA. We're adding more all the time for anxiety, depression, grief, loneliness, weight loss. There's a, there's a bunch of different categories. And then each day you're marking yes or not today. Did I, did you complete the items in the routine? And your yes responses are posted to your feed and they're, it's a social network at its core. And they're posted to either people who follow you or communities that are working on the same thing. So other people who are trying to incorporate habits into their life that mitigate the impacts of depression or anxiety. And you can have an accountability partner. We can match you with one. The science tells us that accountability increases the odds of achieving change. We have daily support groups that are Zoom groups. And so I think what it's uh, what we see in the community is it'll first and foremost, you realize you're not alone. You know, there are, we are all, I, I think, I think as I think about the market for most days, I think 99% of people can identify some set of things in, in their daily lives that they, that they would like to be a little bit different. And if they were to incorporate those things that they would be happier and they would be healthier. And so, but change happens in community. You know, we are, the longevity studies that we see um, out of the most famous longevity study is, is done out of Harvard. And it's like, like Kennedy was in it as an undergrad. It's a really long study. And the kind of the core driver of length of life is community. And so it's a place for people to come together and support one another in, in you know, changing their life in some way to 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 improve suffering. In some cases, it's very mild suffering. In some cases, it's it's really deep, and that's just even more important in a world in which we're isolated. In a world in which this virus, if we get too close to one another, it it you know it it spreads between us. That's such an awful thing, in terms of just the way that human beings have existed for so so long. So it's about bringing people together. It's about destigmatizing it. It's about letting people know that they're not alone. And just those, those things go a really long way if you're somebody who, um, and I think we all are in some way, who's, who's, who's struggling with really anything. I mean, there's, no matter what you're struggling with, there's a set of things you can do most days that can help improve the quality of your life. I think it's absolutely genius. Um, and even before COVID, so many people were so glued to their phones because that's like the thing that we can't live without. And 
even before COVID, you would find yourself walking into a doctor's office and nobody's saying hi anymore to people or making that small talk anywhere you go or most places. And then and then with the pandemic, now we got masks on and we got distance. So we're even more <laughs> isolated from each other. And I love what you're saying here about the community because it's so true. And the minute someone lets down their guard enough to say, oh crap, I'm dealing with X, Y, and Z, all of a sudden people are like, oh, you are too. Like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just not the only one going through it. And I think it's what's, it's bringing, bringing us together that uh, we see this perfect picture, you know, out in the world or, or on the magazine or Facebook. And I always say those are moments in their life. We all got like crap that's going on, like <laughs> working through something that we want to do to, that we could do to improve, improve our lives. So Brett, before we go, what are you hoping that most days accomplishes for for people or those who um, who you created this for? Yeah, I mean, look, I I want to devote my life as an entrepreneur and as a technologist to helping people, and you know, the mission of so our mission is to measurably improve quality and length of life globally by helping people change their behavior, and you know, we're filling a really important gap in terms of the, in terms of the modern healthcare system. So 50% of health outcomes are attributed to behavior. Dr. David Sinclair, who is at Harvard, and he's, he's kind of the leading researcher on longevity on, on just increasing length of life says that 80% of longevity is in our hands. And, but the healthcare system, and it's about 25% of GDP. We spend about four trillion in the U.S. on healthcare every year. It's not that the intentions are bad, but but the healthcare system does not economically incentivize what helping patients with with what happens between visits. The average doctor's visit is 16 minutes long, and it is, you know, eight minutes of you describing to the doctor whatever's going on, four minutes of the doctor, and this, 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 this part of it is, is anecdotal, but four minutes of the doctor, you know, either referring you um, to somebody who can help you or writing a prescription and like one to two minutes of, oh, and by the way, um, you know, you should eat less red meat or mindfulness or whatever, like, hey, here's some things you can do. But that doctor doesn't have an economic incentive. It's not the way that they're paid to follow up with you and see if you're doing those things, et cetera. And, and the same actually is true for, for psychologists and therapists. They have an hour um, a week if you're seeing them and they might give you some of these tools, but then you're on your own once, right. once you walk out. And so we are really focused on building a platform where no matter what you're struggling with, you can identify a set of things you can do most days to improve the quality of your life. And we've got these amazing experts who write these routines um, and then be actually helping you achieve that change, um, increasing the odds that you achieve that change because, because adopting habits, dropping habit, have dropping habits. This is really hard um, because it's hugely important. It's actually, the data suggests it's more important than, and, and not that we're competing with the healthcare system, but it's, it's as important as traditional healthcare, if not more. I mean, it's 50% of health outcomes are attributed to behavior. And so we want to be a platform where no matter where, what you're struggling with, you can do that. We pick up between visits. I remember I learned to play the piano a number of years ago for my sister's wedding. And I, I can't play anymore. I played the song and I can't play anymore. But <laughs> if you go to the le lessons, 
And then you don't practice. It's the same lesson over and over again. So what happened that, and the same is true in healthcare, like what happens between visits, um, really, really matters. And so then we want to do it on a technology platform because we don't want to democratize access to it. We want, no matter who you are anywhere in the world, that you've got access to this set of things you can do most days. And then a platform that actually helps you do those things. Because I mean, in, in my estimation, I, you know, if I were to look at what's the single lever that's most effective, if you wanted to improve the quality of people's lives anywhere in the world, it's help them improve the small decisions they're making each day. And um, if you make a few decisions each day to not do things that, that hurt your quality of life, you make a few more decisions to do things that will help your quality of life, then I, I just think the world's going to be a better place. I think we're all going to be a little bit happier. And so that's the vision for most days. Um, we've been growing really rapidly and it's been really fun, we're, but we're early in our journey. You know, I'm, I'm ready to do this for the next for the next 50 years. Well, I just signed up on the app this morning. And when you're ready to create this for kids, as soon as you were just talking the last few minutes, I was like, this would be brilliant for kids or adolescents. Like that could be revolutionary for them because you see kids get a pill for anxiety or like ADHD, but who's helping them all between those little moments, which are those strategies and skills that they still have to learn. So- well, yeah. Did you so think we, of that we, yet for kids? We have people as young as 13. I mean, there's nothing, there's oh, no, you do? A, there's no adult, you know, it's not, there's no, I mean, it's a social network. So it's, it's an open place in terms of the, the content that people put on, but it's a okay. very supportive community and there's nothing about the content it, itself that would prohibit it from kids. But I think it's a good point. I mean, the point you make around medication is interesting. I talked to one of our experts is a guy named Dr. Alexander Korb, who's a neuroscientist at UCLA. And, um, you know, if you look at SSRIs and, and antidepressants, what they're doing to the brain, often these behavioral changes. So in depression, there's, there's a host of them, but let's just talk about the basics, mindfulness and exercise. I mean, there's all, you know, just listen, just think about the basic things you want to incorporate. Your brain actually doesn't know the difference. O often these things are more effective in terms of helping the brain in, in more nuanced ways. Now I'm not anti antidepressants. I'm fully supportive of whatever your psychiatrist or your doctor is doing. Th those things have a very important place in terms of, in terms of the treatment, but they're not, standalones. Um, and so I think that that's really important. And the beautiful thing I think about the, about younger people is we're seeing less stigma around talking about these types of issues, about being open about whatever you're struggling with. And I think that's really beautiful. And I think that's key to, to, to us all healing. Oh, that's so exciting because now I am going to recommend it to my parents with kids who have adolescents who are struggling. Brent, I, I am so overjoyed that you came on our show today. Um, and just as, and I know you started your own podcast in May. Congratulations, because I know how much hard work that is. <laughs> I'm so excited for you. And I subscribed to that this week as well. Uh, what could um, listeners find on your Most Days show? Oh, so we just talked to, it's mostly psychologists and neuroscientists just to understand for the issues that we're all facing, like, what do we need to do? So we have episodes yeah. on anxiety, depression, sleep. We just did one on OCD. So we're just trying to hit 
the basics because you know what's interesting about actually get, getting better if you're struggling with something is just learning about it the science shows actually helps you improve and so that's what we're trying to do um and yeah we're just we're just talking to our experts and trying to help, help people learn i personally love it and i'm going to share it with everyone i know and if there's anything i can do to support you please reach out and i just thank you so much for your time today this was incredibly valuable and i know it's going to help so many people and your passion and heart to help others is just inspiring so thank you no thank you well that's all we've got for this episode of the magnificent podcast if you enjoyed this episode i would be honored if you would subscribe and rate if you really liked it i know wherever you're listening right now it might not be the best time to leave a comment but feel free to leave a question, a review, or a comment at any time. And until next time, remember, don't worry, be happy.